in a world where... Nah, this ain't that kind of podcast. Let's be honest, the world doesn't need another podcast where we ask the same old questions to the same successful people. You're listening to the Profit and Impact Podcast with Nev Harris. Grab a seat at the table as Nev and his guests dig into the challenges that successful agencies and freelancers have overcome to achieve their success. There's no script, and Nev's insatiable curiosity and ADD can take the conversation anywhere. So let's get real and have some honest talk, lots of laughs, and some helpful insights into what it really takes to create more profit and impact in your business. Hey, it's Nev, and welcome back to another episode of the Profit and Impact Podcast. I'm here with Beth Livingston. Beth is the creator of WPRoadmapsAcademy.com. There's a lot of great courses on doing project management. We're going to dive into some great project management tips that I've learned, like just because me and Beth have talked a couple hours before this podcast. It's been really great. So, um, so Beth, say hi. Hi. <laughs> it's actually the WP Project Managers Academy, and it's uh, brought to you by WP Roadmaps, which is my business name. So I I I, I screwed that up. This is the That's thousand right. lashes for me. So. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so um, yes. So 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 Beth, how did you get started with that? <laughs> Well, I was I started life as a first grade teacher, which is unusual, although not in the WordPress space because everybody was doing something else before they became a WordPress agency. But <laughs> I, uh, my, <laughs> I became a corporate trainer and then I became um, a, an IT business analyst in the corporate world, mostly in the financial industry, and was doing some websites on the side for myself for some side projects. And then started building websites for other people and then thought, you know, I think I just want to take this full time. So when I left my corporate job in 2016, that's when I formed WP Roadmaps. And my whole shtick was not only will I build your website for you, but then I will teach you to update it and manage it and take care of it yourself, mainly because I didn't want to do the aftercare part. <laughs> so I, this was before I knew about things like GoWP where you could outsource it, right? But uh-huh. um, um, at the time, it was like, I'd, I've worked the help desk before. I don't want to do this part. So um, I did not take me too long to find out that even the people who say they want to manage their own website don't really want to take the time to learn the skills they need to learn in order to do it. So that was it was going OK. It wasn't going great. Um, and then I started going to WordCamps and um, started just hearing everybody complaining about scope creep and content collection bottlenecks and managing the client and clients don't understand and all of the things that we all, excuse me, bitch about at at WordCamps and things like that. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have all the answers to all of this. I might as well put that together and, and help the folks that need it. And that's what spawned the WP Project Managers Academy because I have methodologies that help people control all of that. And that's how I got where I am today. We can be done now. I'm finished. 
<laughs> okay, folks, uh, another great episode in the books. But <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I mean, that's really cool. But your background in how you got involved in this is what I wanted to highlight is, is really cool because you, you come from a background where, where you learn these corporate kind of um, systems for, for tracking this. And, and now you're breaking it down and showing how it applies to the, the problems that we all face in the WordCamp or in the WordPress, Word, it, the digital agency kind of uh, market. So what, there's one thing you told me about an 80-hour sprint that I thought that was pretty cool. You want to unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. So if anybody is familiar with the agile way of software development, they use what's called a sprint where you have just, you know, short number of requirements and then there's a deliverable at the end of that. Well, back in the late 90s, when I worked for a consulting firm out of Boston, John Keane created this whole six principles of productivity management, which I have taken and now modified for WordPress that I call the six productivity principles for WordPress project success. And one of those is to break the job down. And what he used to have us do was he had us and we had to have a deliverable every 80 hours. It wasn't necessarily a client deliverable, but it was a deliverable at something tangible that had to be delivered to somebody, whether it was to the project manager or whoever. And the whole concept is that way, you know, where your project is within a two week, within 80 hours, within a two week period, whether you're behind, you're ahead, you're on target. And um, that was one of the things that kept us on schedule all the time. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Because I know I uh, like, shit, we suffer with scope creep, something serious. That was, uh, and then just all that kind of stuff just would eat us alive. So tell us a couple more of these principles. I'm curious about these. Okay, so there's six of them, and I'm old, and even though I know these things like the back of my hand, sometimes it's that sixth one I can't just come up with, okay? And they're not really in any particular order. Um, so the first one is- she's 29, so there's one for every about six years of her life. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the first one is define the job in detail. That was the original one. Um, I've modified that to define the job in detail with a content-first approach. Then there's break the job down, which you can't change that. Break the job down is break the job. (laughs) And then there's estimate the time and costs, but you need to estimate the time and costs often because most of us think we're going to estimate the project at the beginning and then we'll just keep, then we'll just do the project. But you have to stop and estimate along the way or else you don't know if you're meeting your target goals and uh, where you are in terms of the money and what's eating into your profit margin. So and then there's get the right resources involved. Oh, well, it was get the right people involved. That's the way John Keene wrote it. And even he figured out later on that it was more than just people. You have to get the right resources involved. And in our world, that includes hosting plugins, themes, those are all the right resources. And those resources, when you say right, that might not be the same for every project. It's certainly not the same for every niche. And then sometimes you can't get the right resource involved. So you have to get the resource involved rightly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Well, I mean, when you think about people, like I need a Mac Daddy PHP developer because I got to have some custom stuff done. You can't find your Mac Daddy PHP developer. So maybe you have to take somebody who's kind of junior and let them have a crack at it. 
So that's the whole get the people involved rightly or get 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 the right resources involved. Then there is establish a change procedure. This is a big one. If you don't establish that change procedure, and in my case, it's established a change procedure with a change budget. That's actually part of the change procedure. Uh, And then the final one is agree on acceptance criteria. This is big because if you agree on the acceptance criteria for the website and all the little deliverables that might be in between ahead of time, when it comes time for acceptance, notice I'm not using the word approval. When it comes time for acceptance, if everything on that agreed upon acceptance criteria list gets checked off, they can't say things like, well, I just want you to change that to a different color blue, different shade of blue. That's rejection without cause because it wasn't on the list. If it's on the list, now, if you, if it is that one of the requirements was that the um, typography on the website match their current printed materials and you forgot to change the font, that's rejection with cause because it's not correct on the checklist. So those are the six principles. Love that. I mean, if you should, <laughs> that's it's all, you know what, Nev, it's all common sense things that if you think about it, well, that makes sense, but it's stuff we forget to do because we get so wrapped up in the design or so wrapped up in the, I have to be the expert at everything. And then you don't want the client to know, maybe you don't know how to do something. You know, these are just common sense principles. And if you apply them across the board and the truth is these principles work for any project that you do, even like if it's a home improvement project, Tiling your kitchen floor, for example, you're going to get the right resources involved. You're going to define the job in detail. You're going to estimate the time and cost. You might not establish acceptance criteria because you and your wife might have different ideas about what the acceptance criteria is. (laughs) But you get my point is that a project is a project is a project. It doesn't matter if it's a tech project or some other form of project. I think what's also key to that is you said that it's all common sense, but if like Common sense is uh, all too often not common. <laughs> we don't have. <laughs> That's true. Have you been out there? Should be common sense. Yeah, you know. So I think uh, like you're talking about having processes around these. You're having something systematized and a process that be sure that you're communicating that this is that the common sense to the client because they might not realize this kind of stuff. And you're having like a very set in stone kind of process that they get, you know, and that you, you could check off against. And that always allows you to go back to them and say, no, because X, Y, and Z. Right. And you, uh, part of your contract or your onboarding process is that they agree to follow these processes. You explain to them why they're there because they solve this problem and they solve that problem and they solve that problem, but they agree to those processes up front. Yeah, I mean, that they can't complain because they already agreed to it. <laughs> and I also like to say this that if your client doesn't understand, if you're frustrated because they don't, they don't understand, they don't value what I'm doing, they don't understand, that's your fault because you didn't explain it to them. <laughs> Most people are reasonable if you explain it to them up front and they do have a weird concept of what our job is all about, what building websites is all about, because they keep seeing these commercials on TV where you can build a website in an hour. And so they think, well, how hard can it be? And that's 
I hate to say it, but that is one of the reasons that they might not respect you is because they think it's just easy and you're just a worker bee. And it's really, really important to establish yourself as a colleague that you're there. I just listened to a, a webinar today from Mike Killen about on consultancy and how important that is. And that your desire is simply to build websites. You need to go work for an agency because then you can just build <laughs> websites and get somebody else to do all the rest of this. But if your desire is to be an agency yourself, then you really have to educate your client and you have to let them know how these things work because we have our head in it every day. They don't. Kind of like the reason the whole DOS for Dummies books and things like that were written is because programmers forget what they didn't used to know. I'm from the early days of software, all right? And we used to get these manuals and you would read it and go, I have no clue what this is. This is for Windows and everything else. And it's because they let the programmers write the manuals and they could not back themselves up to how does a beginner think, right? So your client is a beginner. You have to explain these things to them because they just don't know. I think that was, um, I think that right there is solid gold that you said that you just want to design websites, get a job with an agency, because there's other things you have to know as a business owner. And one of them is educating your clients as to what the processes is and what you do and, and why and how this matters. I always used to say when I did sales training back in the day, that you can never get you can never get mad at your client. You can never get mad at a prospect for doing something you didn't tell him he can't do. So, and that's that goes along. We do that with, a lot. We do that a lot in our space. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, tend we don't to blame the client for change. You know, instead of embracing change and saying, "Look, we know there's going to be change. Let's plan for it and manage it." So, speaking of that, um, you have a really really cool concept called um, uh, a change budget. Could you touch on that real quick? Like, what is a change budget? Certainly the change budget. And I did not think of this myself. (laughs) (laughs) This comes from those six principles and what we used to do at Keene. So the change, the whole concept of the change budget is number one, embrace change and educate your client on it, that there is going to be change. Don't think of change as a bad thing. Change is an opportunity. It's either an opportunity to refine what you're working on or add something to it because somebody had a good idea along the way. If if you're like, no change, no change, then you're squelching innovation, basically, Um, or, or a good idea from your client or a good idea from one of your team members if you have a team. And so the concept of the change budget is let's, it's better to do this by example. Let's say, um, and I have still have COVID bangs, so y'all can do it. <laughs> um, let's say a website's going to cost $5,000, right? That's what it's actually, that if you were going to quote that to the client without any pad, that would have a profit margin in it for you uh, that's acceptable to you, $5,000, okay? Then you take 20 to 30% of that amount and you add it to the total project budget. Now, but you add it, into a change budget. It's sort of like invisible money. It sits over on the side. You don't take a deposit for it, but the client agrees to it that we've got a five. If you have no changes along the way, this website's going to cost you $5,000, which just as an aside, I don't ever give that kind of precise estimate. It's always a range because an estimate is an estimate. Stop calling it a quote. It's not. (laughs) because <laughs> um, an estimate is always fluid. There's always going to be things that come up that affect that estimate. And that's another reason that you estimate the time and costs often. 
So a quote is like when the fence builder comes to your house, he knows exactly what the materials are, the length of the fence, how long it's going to take him. That's a quote. With us, we have a good idea based on what we find out in the discovery, but that doesn't mean that's how it's going to end up. Okay, so the change budget. So the 20% of $5,000 is what, $1,000? 20% of $5,000 is $1,000, yes. Okay. Sometimes I can do math and sometimes I can't. <laughs> it's kind of late in the day also. So you just repeat um, okay, the question so, while you give yourself a chance. To oh, I was, it. oh yeah. I went out into the whole range thing. Be sure to just do, always do things as a range, but um, okay. So, but just for the sake of this discussion, it's a $5,000 website and now you've set aside a thousand dollars for change. So um, you, t- but all the deposits and everything is based on the $5,000. That thousand dollars is sitting over in an invisible bucket that you will only use for change. It's only ever used for change. You acknowledge that change is probably going to happen. So you're going along and then the client says, oh, you know, I forgot to tell you about those three bio pages for the senior executives. We're going to have to add three pages to the website. Okay, fine. We've already agreed to what, you know, it's supposed to be. Now we're going to have to make a change. So someone writes up the change request. Usually the person that's asking for it, but if it's the client, sometimes I do it for them, fill out the change request. Then you estimate the time and cost for that change. You give it to the client and you say, okay, do you want to take this money out of the invisible bucket of money and add it to the project budget or not based on how much it's going to cost? He might say yes. He might say no. So now let's say that change was going to cost $250. These figures are arbitrary. Please do not use these as ways of estimating your projects. I'm just pulling them out of the air. So let's say that's going to be pricing. Do not use these for your pricing model. Um, So let's say that's $250. So now the client is going to pay you $5,250. And I always bill for a change request as soon as it's approved. It's in addition to your regular payment schedule that you're getting paid along the way. So unless I've been doing business with a client for a while and I know he's going to pay me anyway, I might just add it to the last invoice. But uh, generally, I get paid for that right away. Now, um, so that means that if there is absolutely no change, it's going to cost $5,000. If there is change, it could be anywhere between $5,000 and $6,000. Now, let's say there's so much change that you run out of change budget. Then you do a change request to increase the change budget. And, and if you work properly with your client shoulder to shoulder as you're going through this, they know that you just found a new requirement or they just asked for something new. And, and so they're usually completely on board with it. It's not usually a problem. But um, the beauty part is, is that everybody wins. Now, let's say that you that someone submits a change request for something. Maybe it's something you think is a great idea. So you say, look, I think we need to make this change. And it's going to add $500 to the to the cost of the project. And the client goes, no, you know, that might be something we might want in the future, but not right now. Well, you start a phase two list. And then when Mm -hmm. the project is all said and done, then you take that phase two list and you say, okay, these are all the things you said you might want in the future. Do you want to go ahead and do a project for that now or later or blah, blah, blah. And if they hire you, you get paid. Okay, so you've gotten paid for the project. You've gotten paid for the change. And you could potentially get paid for the phase two list. It's magic. It's like the magic bullet. <laughs> one, other, one other note about the whole change request process, um, in addition to the change budget, is that that change request process is used for any change to the project. So let's say that your you or your lead developer gets sick for a week or his wife has a baby and he's early and he's going to be out. So he's not. So you can't meet the timeline. 
Well, that goes through the change control process too. You get a change form done. It doesn't affect the cost because maybe you've got another programmer that can fill in or whatever, but it's going to push the schedule out because of whatever reason. The reason you do that is because this change control procedure has now allowed you, are you ready? To <laughs> always come in under budget and on time. Ta-da! <laughs> so I mean it works like a charm because it is part of the it is part of the project budget and um you're you have moved the project date out so it's not like you've gone over you've used your process to move it out so that's how that's how I can say that in 30 plus years of doing projects I have never gone over budget or over time and I've never missed a deadline because I'd move the deadline if I can't meet it <laughs> <laughs> and I love this. I love this. And and so let's bring this back to a little bit some what a lot of you have heard me talk about pricing. So, and this is why I just absolutely love this. And I love what Beth is teaching because it's so important to getting your pricing right. Because when you look at pricing and you look at the fact that you're going to have what I call their variable costs, but you know, we call them project related costs, and you're going to have fixed costs, and we call them your always costs, your costs you're always going to have, and then your profit. Well, what happens is if those project costs, you know, if the customers ask for this stuff in your change and you've priced it to give yourself a nice 30% profit margin, and then if the customer asks for the stuff from the change changing and things change or anything like that, your cost, your project cost now starts instead of being 30% and your profit 30%, your project costs start going to 40% of your profit down to 20. Project costs to 50, your profit to 10, and all of a sudden you're unprofitable. And you know, if you've seen me any of my t- talks or trainings, I go through this on pricing and why this is it was a recipe for a disaster. Best system that she's teaching you right now, which she just taught you there in the last 10 minutes, will solve that problem for you. If you follow this method, you could lock in a profit margin. You cannot price effectively without having something like this in place. This is brilliant. It goes so much along with what I teach and everything like that. So I thank you a ton for sharing that with us, Beth, because when when I heard her talking about this, I'm like, this is brilliant. We got to get her on to talk about this kind of stuff. So, um, and I just love that kind of stuff. So let's let Don let's, King was a brilliant man. It was not, it did not come from <laughs> me. It was a brilliant, he was a brilliant man. Keen, the, the consulting firm I worked for was always in the Gartner magic quadrant for project delivery on time and within budget for this reason. And it was almost like a cult. We had, there's a book on it. I don't have it handy, but there, maybe I do. Uh, hold on a second. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he wrote a book on it, and uh, we had everybody got a copy. And the book is called what? For for the people listening, the book is called what? Um, Oh, the Productivity Management Keynes Project Management Approach. This is the third edition, which is not actually the best edition. The second edition, this one has my name in it, but (laughs) I helped edit it. The second edition is actually the best one. It's the easiest one to read. It's really easy to consume. It's out of print, difficult to find. All of them are. It's back in the day from, you know. I'm so productivity old. management <laughs> is what it's called. Productivity management and just uh, Keen is spelled K-E-A-N-E. If anybody wants to, I mean, you might can find it. I, I found a couple of copies and bought them off of a used book place, but they're a little difficult to find. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. So he was a brilliant man and he came up with all of that. 
And so if you can't find this book or anything like that, or here's, I love reading books. I'm reading books constantly. But the problem I find with books is, you know, like to write a book, here's what you need to do. You need to appeal to a mass market audience. Okay. And so you have to kind of dumb down your ideas to, and, and kind of generalize them so that it appeals to all, to many people so that your publisher will actually say, yeah, I want to take the risk and putting this book out there and it could have some, some profit potential. So what Beth is saying she's doing is she's taking these ideas like from this great book and making them very applicable to what we're doing. So if you always wondered how to implement, like, like I love the book Essentialism, but it's like this very vague and you have to really sit and figure out how to apply that to your specific business. Beth, Seems like she's a shortcut at this and what she just told you in the um, in earlier in the podcast. So I just well, think well that book that book is also uh, all about software development. And although what we do so, okay. is similar, it's not the same thing. There's a lot that you have to consider in software development that you don't have to consider in web development. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to tell you about all of that, and now uh, I've forgotten what it is. So continue. Oh, I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Let, let's 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 shift the subject a little because because there was um there there's an interesting story you had told about um when you got involved, you were at the forefront of the tiny house movement. Oh gosh. <laughs> Well, sort of in North Carolina, maybe, but okay. So, you know, I have always wanted to make a bunch of money without a lot of work. Right. <laughs> so I got, I got into, um, and I've, I've, I've had a love affair with real estate since I was a child and my parents made us ride around on Sunday afternoon, looking at houses, even though they didn't want one, they just wanted to ride around and look at them. So, uh, they were taking around the case to houses. Right. And, well, right. And then that's right. Oh, and then like if a house was under construction, but it wasn't quite open, they would like, if they found an open window, they'd push us through and we'd go unlock it so they could come and look around. My mother was a frustrated architect. But so I've had a love affair with real estate for a long time. And so some partners and I back in 2008 bought an old campground on a lake. And so it had 36 RV spots on it. And what we did was we converted it to land condominiums. A lot of people think of condominium as a, a building, but it's really just a form of ownership. It allows multiple people to own what is otherwise an undividable piece of property. And then we put these little park models on them. Park models are stamped and certified as recreational vehicles. They have to be pulled in with an 18 wheeler. So they're not really vehicles, but according to, you know, the HUD and everybody else, they are recreational vehicles, but they look like little tiny houses, right? They're for, they can't be bigger than 400 square feet. The inside has about the size of a, a condo at the beach that you rent, you know, like a one bedroom condo with a sleeping loft and just the cutest little things ever. Then we did this in 2008. We sold yes. 11 units right out of the box. And then the real estate market crashed. Our lender stopped loaning money um, because they couldn't, they, they were, their hands were tied because they couldn't do any kind of non-conforming loan. And uh, so we limped along and limped along for several years 
then we went through a period of time uh, for four years where we didn't sell a single piece of that property. We had sold some few in along the way to current owners as parking areas and things like that. So let but, me just sum uh, up real quickly. Let me interrupt for a second. Just, just to, okay. so, cause it just, cause this, I love this next point she's going to make. And I just want to, so, so I had a great idea, wanted to, wanted to do something, went all in on it had had something completely out of control and completely unknowable come in and just knock them right down. So it was four years till they sold another property. And instead of what they kept on trying, kept on trying. And now it's really cool what you did next. So what, what did you do here? <laughs> well, this was the advent of the tiny house movement. Jay Schaefer built a 90 square foot little thing on a, a trailer that you pull behind a car um, and lived in it for a year. He was from California and then it just grew and grew and grew. So everybody was getting into the tiny house movement. This is the solution to all the world's problems, right? <laughs> um, anybody can afford a tiny house. Let's build one on our, on our utility trailer. Um, at, but so I started using hashtag tiny house in our marketing, Facebook ads, and then I was tweeting the heck out of the local news media, telling them about what we were doing. Eventually, they got hold of it. You know, everybody's looking for content, even your local news news uh, station. And so they came and did the whole morning show from down at the the point. And we sold sixteen lots in uh, eight months. And then we eventually sold the rest of them out uh, over the next uh, twelve months. And so that certainly helped me learn two things. One the power of the hashtag (laughs) number two, you know, glom onto something that's already trending. Um, This is what's happening right now in our world with face masks. You know, everybody's got a different face mask for sale and it's because it's what's trending. Is it going to be around forever? Mm, Probably not, but for now it's a big deal. So that's how, that's how that eventually got sold out. I won't say it was a success, but it's how it eventually got (laughs) sold out. So, um, so I, we were under the impression that we'd always lived under, right? That, um, yeah, we know people are talking about a bubble. People talking about the real estate market, but you know, we don't have to worry. This is waterfront. They're not making any more waterfront. It's going <laughs> to be this way. You know, waterfront always holds it, its value. These are the things that we think are always true, that then something happens and you just have to deal with it, but you keep on going on. Yeah, you might have to pivot on. a little bit, but you keep going on. And that right there in this market, one thing I wanted to get to, one of the highlight, sometimes you have to pivot and what's the smart way and how do you pivot? How do you use a, a more unconventional type strategy or how do you pivot? How do you go from, you know, things not working out to something that can? And, and, and like she says, she took advantage of like the tiny uh, house movement. What movement is going to be happening? What movement is this recession going to create for us? Is it going to be, you know, healthcare, you know, moves more online? Is it going to be like restaurants realize the value of online ordering? Is the people are going to be more comfortable with doing ordering online and having delivery services? Or Because here's the thing, like, if you think these restaurants are doing well using Grubhub and Uber Eats and what, what's that other one that I had uh, all sorts of problems with that I can't stand? Um, DoorDash, DoorDash, yes. Who they don't deliver your order half the time, then call you, and then when you say something to them, they're like, "Oh, well, we'll we'll let you go this time." I'm like, "Dude, I didn't try to steal my food. You didn't deliver it to me." <laughs> so, and so, um, 
Uh, so anyways, though, that, that tangent aside, because I'm still pissed off about that DoorDash. So if you ever listen to this, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> so um, uh, uh, what, uh, where was I even going with this? Oh, so, so what, what, what the recession is going to bring us. So yes, so be prepared, you know, to take advantage of it. There's lots of people. Um, actually, I heard Lee Jackson refer to it as a digital renaissance. Yes, that, that's that. what's happening, and that's that's what's going to continue to happen for quite some time. And I don't think, I mean, it may go like this and then drop back a little, but I don't think it's going to go like this and then go like this, except for possibly the mask thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope I hope we don't have to worry about that going forward forever, but we'll see. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, um, at least I hope not. And then, um, so, but I think right now, like people, are like, they're like, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're really, they're really having a problem with um, self-worth and imposter syndrome and just, you know, uh, getting the motivation to go do stuff because they might not feel like they're smart enough or they're capable enough, or, you know, they've been beat down by clients. You had told me a story like, you know, about when you were younger, I think that was, um, it was like, I found it to be really like moving in a way about when you were like 18 and everything like that. And you were getting out of, so, cause you, That's you started right. as a teacher. I mean- well, first of all, they ask you at 18 years old to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Declare a major. Um, I went into early childhood education because I didn't think I was smart enough to do anything else. I'm not saying teachers are not smart. What I'm saying is I didn't, I couldn't do math. It wasn't my thing, right? I'm a words person. And so I knew I wasn't good at math. I'd been told my whole life I wasn't all that smart. So I thought, well, I'll teach, you know, teach little kids because I can play with them all day. That's way fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then life just sort of happened, right? Um, At that particular time, there happened to be, and where I was living, there happened to be a glut of school teachers and I couldn't find a teaching job. So I went back to school, studied instructional design, and uh, that just morphed into what became my career later. I found out along the way that I'm smarter than the average bear. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I'm a little smarter than I thought I was. And so I don't want to throw off on my family. Okay. <laughs> but don't let other people establish who you are and what you can be. The only one that can do that is you. Um, if you're suffering from imposter syndrome, go find your people, go find your people and talk to them. They'll build you up. But if you try to do that in a vacuum, you'll be very unhappy. It won't work. Um, this is what the WordPress community has done for me. I mean, even now, I still call my mentor people up and go, I feel like crap. I don't know if this is right. Am I doing the right thing? And, you know, they'll build you back up and, and not blowing sunshine up your skirt either. I mean, most of them mm-hmm. will tell you the truth. It, well, yeah, you're not really doing this the right way. <laughs> but, but, but most of the time, you know, it's... When you're feeling like that, most of the time it's it's self-imposed criticism and and sometimes you need your people to help you out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is um and Beth, all that she's accomplished in her life is the um, the amazing system, amazing knowledge she has. It's like, you know, and she at one point, like like she said, didn't feel um and it was because of listening to her surroundings and everything like that didn't feel like she was you know, that as capable as she proved herself to be, you know, so it's just, I think that's like, yeah, we need, you need to find your, you can't let other 
people tell you your worth or you have to, you know, have then you have to surround yourself with, I think that's an excellent point about, you know, surrounding yourself with people that are going to, you know, be that support structure for positive people that are doing, doing great things. Cause you know, they say, if you want to be the 10th millionaire, find nine millionaires to hang out with. So, you know, it is, but it's just a thing about positivity and who you're surrounding yourself with and the energy you're, you're getting from them. I think that's. And it took me to 62 to find my people. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I had people along the way. Okay. But to find my true people, it took me till I was 62. I'm 63. <laughs> 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 no, it was really when I first started hanging out in the, in the, in the uh, WordPress community, which would have been right around 2016. I, I was involved with WordPress all the way back to 2009 when I started building websites for myself, but I was doing that in a vacuum and I wasn't going out and meeting people. When I started attending WordCamps and other events that touch on WordPress, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's when I found my people. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a supportive, great community. I think, um, we could be all very, very thankful for it and can't waiting to get back to word camps and everything like that. And, um, the virtual things are fine, but I so miss the hugs and I miss yes. the hallway chats and the going out to dinner afterwards and other places. <laughs> <laughs> I was Fun just nights thinking, I'm at dying for a glass of wine. <laughs> I have, to me, wine's like a social thing, you know, like, and, um, and, and cause I won't, like, I figure if I open a bottle of wine, drink a whole bottle of wine sitting by myself, you know, <laughs> I'm like one, cause I, cause I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't have a huge tolerance. So one, I will be like on the floor and I don't want to waste a bottle of wine. So yeah, but I'm dying for a glass of wine, but I want to have it with somebody else. So, yeah, me um, too. I don't, I don't drink at home. People, people give me wine all the time as gifts. And I'm like, well, thanks. I guess I'll have a party because <laughs> I drink when I go to the bar, I go to the restaurant and not being able to go to the bar and the restaurants like, okay, by the, ne- the next time I have a glass of wine, that's going to be me. I'm going to be on the floor because my tolerance <laughs> will be way gone. So I've been making a lot more mixed drinks because like, I'm just chilling. I want to relax out because I figure, you know, I could open a bottle of vodka and it's like, if I open a bottle of wine and I don't have another glass for a week, you know, sometimes it will last. Sometimes it turns kind of vinegary. Yeah. yeah you it know. depends on the wine, but yeah, I agree. And so, yeah, I don't, I'm not, um, I so. also have a bit of an addictive personality, so I'm afraid to start with the liquor. <laughs> <laughs> what happens, you know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I like the mixture. Plus, I don't need it because I'm high on life. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't had enough platitudes this week, I just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. The Profit and Impact Podcast, the, the place the place for trite sayings. <laughs> Cause you know what? It is what it is. But you know, Nev, we're all in this together. <laughs> doesn't that just make you want to just throw something at the television? It does. Especially make. when it's a celebrity in like a it's a always a celebrity. Or the, the the local newscast, and I'm like, oh bull. You're not in this with me. You're in the studio. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You have to see your friends. (laughs) It's like, you know, that still has, you know, their their, their maids and their chefs and their butlers and everything. I'm here in my mansion, but we're in this together. Yes. You might be losing your home, but we're in this together. (laughs) You know, it's awful. It's awful. But they do it because America sucks it up. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. But 
All right, Beth. So if, if, if people want to connect with you and find out more about the great Beth, how would they get a hold of you? Where, where could they find you? Okay. So the website is wproadmaps.com, exactly how it sounds. Um, and when you get there, you will find, if you're interested in the academy where we teach you to consistent, are you ready for my tagline? You ready for the whole thing? Okay. <laughs> At w, in the WP Project Managers Academy, we teach you to consistently get your projects completed on time, within budget, with features that meet the client's business requirements without affecting, uh, that's not the right word, but without (laughs) harming your profit margin, allowing you to hold on to your ROI or your profit margin. You can do that by going to WP Roadmaps forward slash join us. And uh, you can find out all about the program there. There's a free element. And then there's an advanced program where I have some industry experts teaching along with me to make sure that you know all there is to know about project management. And you know, project management is just everybody rolls their eyes and like, oh, it's so boring. (laughs) And I can't teach you how you can make a million dollars or scale your business from zero to 60 in 30 days. But what I can teach you how to do is to hold on to more of your profit margin, keep your planned profit margin in your pocket instead of giving it back to your client. Disclaimer, no one can teach you how to grow your business to a million dollars in 60 days. <laughs> Just so you know, there's no one out there that's going to teach you that stuff. So They claim they can. Yes. There's a lot of people claiming they can. Oh, yeah. So it's just like. But those are, those are the things that get people's attention, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm going to show you how you can improve your money, how you can sell more, how you can close more deals, how you can do this, how you can do that. And there's tons of legit people who are teaching really good stuff about that. So that shouldn't be discounted. But there's also, and this is kind of how Nev and I kind of connect, there's also a way to hold on to more of your money. Quit giving it away when you don't (laughs) need to. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. We you definitely want to do that, you know, because there's you could grow your business by by cutting costs and you know adding new. Because here's the thing, you know, if you want to like Beth was saying, like you just drive your you want to have a miserable business and drive yourself nuts, don't do project management. <laughs> so it's that simple. The, the sale was like a really fun. Like we always use this one meme. It's just like Leonardo DiCaprio say, new client. Yay. So happy and everything like that. You know, what you think it's going to be reality is you're shaking. Where's my, where's my content? You know, because right. you know, you're not managing the project well enough. So you're just like happy day that your happiest day with that is when you make the sale and then it's miserable downhill. The one I, the other one I hear the most about is not getting paid for that final payment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let me just say this. Never go live. Never give them the live website till you got the last payment in your hand. Period. Okay, done. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. Well, Beth Beth said we're done. So um... no, I just meant I'm done with that. You know, I mean, it's like it's it's such a simple concept, but so many people make this mistake where they turn over the live website and then they don't get that final check. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, I think that's a wrap, but I think we can end on that note. Um, it was, okay. uh, it was fun, Beth. Um, thanks for coming on the show. And I think there was a lot, a lot of value in there for people to get a hold of stuff, you know? So, um, all right. Bye. <laughs> that was the Profit and Impact Podcast with Nev Harris. For a full recap of this show, or for more info on making more profit and impact with your agency or freelance business, visit nevharris.com. If you liked this episode, show us some love. 
Give us a rating and comment over on iTunes and help Nev get the message out to more agency owners and freelancers. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.